All right, it is good to gather together because of uh, Snowpocalypse 2022. We didn't get to do that last week on Sunday, and so I'm incredibly grateful. And uh, props to Pastor David for preaching last week. For those of you that were here Thursday, yeah, you can give it up for him. We're here on Thursday, it was live, and then on Sunday, obviously, it was online. And we're the third week of our message series called Abide. And this is the season in the life of our church where we take 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we do that because we want to abide in Jesus. We call it Abide. And I told you on the first week of this series of messages that our one aim is to abide, is to abide in Christ. That is the one thing, that is our one goal that we are going after at the beginning of every year. And that's why we do this season. And so we pray and we fast because fasting is about taking something out so that we can put something in, which is prayer, which is reading the Bible. It is uh, uh, how we abide and how we remain in him. And so if you're new to our church and new to this whole thing, you may be thinking, oh, good, I missed those two weeks and I don't have to do that. Well, you can jump in now, all right? You can do 14 days of prayer and fasting. Um, and for those of you that have been uh, already participating in it, thank you. Uh, and this is right at the time, too, when some people are like, yeah, I don't know about this church, if they're gonna ask me to, to fast for 21 days at the beginning of every year. We, we do, but there's all different kinds of ways that we do that. And so, I, as I told you, the very first week, we want you to fast something from food, whether that's fast from a meal or a couple meals or certain types of food, or you know, you're only eating fruits and vegetables like the Daniel diet, whatever it is, and then fasting also from social media from 21, for these 21 days. And so we as a church aren't doing anything as far as social media is concerned because, again, we want to take time to set aside time at the beginning of this year to really abide in Christ. And the reason why we want to abide in him, as we're going to talk today, is because abiding in him is us abiding in the truth. And we want the truth to abide in us. And so talking about that, we're actually going to be in 2 John today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't know where 2 John is, it's right after 1 John. All right, right before 3 John. But it's towards the back of your Bible, all right? Uh, and so if you got to the book of Revelation, you've gone too far, because that's the last one, all right? Just back on up a little bit. But as always, you can follow along on the screen as well. And what I love about 2 John is it's actually very short. It's only one chapter. Uh, it's only 13 verses. And so if you want to feel super accomplished for 2022 and say, I've read an entire book of the Bible, then 2 John is your book, baby, all right? Because it's only 13 verses, but what I also love about it is this is the same author that wrote the gospel according to John, which we'll get back into after this series. And so you're gonna see very similar themes. And so you know, a lot of times I preach through John 15 in this season, but since we're in that book this year, uh, or for the last, we've been in it for last year and this year, we'll get to John 15 later on. But I wanted to look at 2 John because you're gonna see some of the same themes that he talks about with this idea of, Abide, all right? So let's go. I'm gonna read verses one through four, and then we'll stop and chat about it. It says, the elder to the elect lady, so this is John writing to a lady, and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because the truth that, what's that next word there? Abides. Now, if you're new, I like for you to call and respond only when I ask for it, all right? Other times we make a lot of noise, we may have to ask you to go into the lobby out of respect for everybody else. But let's try that again. Because of the truth that what? Abides. Even if you're online, you can yell out at your TV. One last time, let's try. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Verse three. 
Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. So again, you need to understand, and I'll dig more into this as we get to the end of this, but this is John writing a letter to a lady and her family that he loves. And so obviously John is an apostle. He is pastoring people. And back then they had to write letters. And so he literally wrote this letter to her, helping her understand some things. And we'll get into that more in just a second. And this is kind of a preface. This is kind of the intro to his letter, if he will. But there's some things that he says here that I find so not only interesting, but I think important in how he lays it out at the beginning of his message. At the beginning of his letter, he says to this lady whom I love in truth, love in truth. And what I find interesting about that and and therefore important is notice John doesn't just say, I love you, but he qualifies it. He says, I love in truth and all who love the truth love you. And then he says, because... The truth abides in us. And so when we're talking about abiding, we need to understand what we're talking about. As I told you again two weeks ago, and I just mentioned earlier, our one aim is to abide. And we've talked about we want to abide in Jesus. But I want you to understand something. When we're talking about abiding in Jesus, who's a person, we're also talking about abiding in something, not just someone, because Jesus is something. As he says in John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we're talking about abiding in something, we are talking about abiding in truth. And truth is important. Truth matters because John is saying here, I love you in truth. Now let's talk about that for a second because love, and we'll hit this more in just a minute too, is a very interesting word and it's a word that gets thrown around a lot in our culture, but no one seems to know exactly what the definition is. And one of the reasons is because in English language, we have one word for everything. Love, like most other languages have different words for love. And so they would talk about, I love my friends different than I love my wife and that kind of stuff. But we don't, it's all one love, you know, so I love my wife like I love Whataburger, all right? And so same word. And so there's a lot of confusion about what love is. And that's why I said, I find it interesting that John says, I love you in truth. Now, here's what I want us to understand. It's impossible to love someone and not include truth. It's impossible to love someone in lies. Again, those of us who are married, we understand this because we went through a process before we got married called dating where let's just qualify it. And I'm not, you know, bagging on dating, although I don't think it's a great thing, but let's, can we just be honest? When we were dating, we were really loving the other person in lies. And what I mean by that is we weren't being completely truthful. Dating really is an exercise in I'm putting my best forth self, my best, I'm putting forth my best self. There we go. I'm not putting forth my whole self. Are you with me when I say this? Because if I put forth my whole self, you may not love me. And so I'm going to dress nice. I'm going to bathe. 
right? I'm gonna put on deodorant. I'm gonna put on some, uh, some cologne. I'm gonna you know, put on my best side. I mean, this is what we call job interviews too, right? It's not just dating, but it's anytime we beginning relationships with somebody, we're not really loving in truth. And again, maybe it's not you're loving in lies, but you're definitely not loving in the whole truth. And again, those of us who have been married understand something that a couple years after you get married, you learn things, don't you? And, and let's be straight. There are things that you learn, and I'm saying there are things that my wife learned about me, that if she would have known those things before we committed to love each other, she might have said no, right? And this is why, statistically speaking, 80%, listen to this, 80% of all divorce happens in the first eight years of a relationship. Why is that? Because they're learning how to love in truth. We're not playing games anymore. We're past eHarmony, right? We're past surveys and psychological profiles and nothing wrong with those things. But now we're getting into the nitty gritty. Now we're getting into, oh, this is who you really are. Yeah, I'm loving in Truth, which means I'm truly loving. And here's what I love about God. When God loves you, he loves you in truth. He knows everything about you. He knows who you are. He knows what you do. And I've said this many times. When, and again, I would have loved to have been around when Jesus was on the earth, but there's part of me, I gotta be honest, I wouldn't love to be around when Jesus was around because he knows my thoughts. People are like, I would just love to hang with Jesus. Yeah, not so much. Because he knows me. He loves in truth. So here's all I'm trying to get you to see. Love, by definition, includes truth or else it's not really love. And so John is saying, hey, I love you in truth because the truth abides in us forever. Another thing I want you to see before we move on is love is not love without truth, but with truth also comes some other things. It's interesting to me that John says, I love you in truth. The truth abides in us. And then there's a colon there. And then verse three, he says, grace, mercy, and peace will also be with us. Here's why truth is so important. Truth is so important because it's not only it's the truth, but with it comes other things. He says, not only does the truth abide in you forever, but he says, grace, mercy, and peace come along too. So let me help you see something. If you want grace, if you want mercy, if you want peace, you better have truth because you can't get those things without truth. Now, let me break down what these three things are. Grace. Grace, biblically speaking, is us getting something we don't deserve. It's in the positive. So grace is God giving you gifts. Grace is God giving you favor. God is, God is gracefully bringing good things to us that we didn't deserve. That's grace. And one of those things he brings to us, and I've talked about this a lot around here, is grace is not just uh, um, like bringing things to us, but in and of itself, it is a thing. And grace empowers us to do good, empowers us to walk in truth. And so here's what's amazing. 
not only with truth, but with truth comes grace, and grace is the power to walk in truth. So God would never ask us to walk in truth and then not give us the grace to do it, because grace comes with it. So grace is getting things we didn't deserve. I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve favor. I didn't deserve the power to walk with God. But grace is a little different than mercy. Mercy, again, biblically speaking, is not getting what I didn't deserve, but mercy is not getting what I did deserve. Mercy, by definition, is I'm not gonna get what I did deserve to where grace is I did get what I didn't deserve. You with me? So speaking of mercy, the opposite of mercy is justice. There's been a lot of conversations over the last few years about justice, and rightfully so, because God is a God of justice. And unfortunately, we do live in an unjust world where justice doesn't always prevail, even though that's what we work towards. But mercy is the opposite of justice. And what I mean is this, when you get what you do deserve, that's justice. When you don't get what you do deserve, that's mercy. And here's how God is going to relate with every human being on the planet when we meet him. We either either will get justice or we will get mercy. But listen to me, no one gets injustice. No one. This is why God says many times throughout the Bible, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy on. God is free to give people mercy or he is free to give people justice. And everybody will get one of those two things. So justice is, I get what I did deserve. Mercy is, I don't get what I did deserve because Jesus got it for me. So the only way God can give me mercy is if he gives justice to Jesus. Watch this. And Jesus is truth. So you don't get mercy without truth. Third one, peace. Now, wouldn't we love some peace up in 2022? Yeah, I mean, we'd really love some peace up in 2020. And then it went into 21, and now into 22. And it feels like there's so much unrest still. Anxi- there's so much anxiety in the system. And by in the system, I just mean in our system of humanity, whether that's government, whether that's church, whether that's city, whether that's school, whatever that is, just in our human relationships, there's so much anxiety in the system and there's a lack of peace. Well, it seems to me what John is advocating here, one of the reasons why our society is so not at peace is because our society doesn't have truth. Because we live in a society, and I'm going to deal more with this in a second, that doesn't believe truth is something that is discovered. It believes something, truth is something that is created. And so we say statements, and I say this often, and, and I hope as believers, we don't use these statements when people talk about my truth or your truth. But Jesus didn't say, listen, your truth will set you free. He said, the truth will set you free. So if we want peace... It comes from truth. This is why abiding in truth matters. Here's what abide means. I've given you the definition. It's on the screen if you want to write it down. Abide just simply means remain, keep on, continue in an activity or state. So if we want grace, mercy, and peace, and we want love, we have to abide, we have to remain in truth. 
So let's go on, verse five, I'll build on this. And John builds on this, look at what he says. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another, that we love one another. Now, what's amazing to me is you don't even have to be Christian to believe that statement. In fact, there's a lot of people outside the church that use that almost against Christians and say, doesn't your Bible say to love one another? Yeah, it does. But look at verse six. And this is love. This is why the Bible is so amazingly relevant no matter what culture it is in. This was written almost 2,000 years ago and it has direct application to the culture we live in because we live in a culture that love has to be defined. Well, thank goodness the Bible defines it. This is love. What is it? That we walk according to the commandments. Now that phrase that we walk according to the commandments is just simply another way of saying the word truth. Truth. So remember he says, I love you in truth, abide in the truth, and this is love, that we walk according to the truth. Now he goes on, look at this. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into this world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, specifically speaking, contextually in this point in time, John is writing to this lady because people have gone out into the world saying a different thing than the truth. So that's why he's writing the letter. Now, the specific truth that they were talking about at that point in time in the first century is that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He didn't really come. Now, here's John, who was a disciple of Jesus, who saw Jesus in the flesh, and so a modern kind of heresy at that point in time was, no, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And there was a lot of cultural reasons that I don't just have time to go into. But here's all you need to know. There were people, now I, wanna, I want you to see this direction, that weren't coming from the world into the church saying this. Notice the direction, the language he uses. They have gone into the world. Not from the world, but into it. Well, where did they come from? Here's the sad part. They came from the church. So John is writing this letter to this lady because there were people that had come from the family of God into the world saying things that weren't true. And John is writing her to remind her and her children, loving Jesus is walking in the truth. Loving Jesus is abiding in the truth. And the reason why I wanted to talk through this book, specifically in this season, is we're talking about abiding. Like I've said, we're talking about abiding in truth. And one of my great concerns as a pastor is we live in a day and age where there are a lot of well-meaning sometimes, sometimes not, Christians who have gone out from the church into the world saying things that aren't true. And we live in a culture now to where if we were to stand up and say, well, that's not true, 
then we would be claimed, you know, to be somehow oppressive or a bigot or, you know, you're kind of close-minded. And the concept that I'm just trying to get us to see is if you and I want to love well, if we want to be a people that are the people of God, then there is a certain amount of abiding and remaining in the truth that we have to do. Let me give you the next two verses to explain what I'm talking about. Verse eight and nine. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Verse nine, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. Now listen to this. Does not have God. Does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So this is why this matters, and this is why I'm stressing it. There is a teaching that has come from the church. Now, I don't mean Revolution Church. I'm talking the wider church. That is coming from the church that is saying there are certain things that we don't have to abide in. There are certain truths that we don't have to believe anymore. And people have gone on ahead beyond the teaching of Christ. Now, that phrase there, gone on ahead, we're going to dig into it. I want you to hang with me here. And I understand on the outside that this is tough. But listen to the definition of this phrase, goes on ahead. It's a Greek word. I have it here on the screen. It's the Greek word proago. It's where we get our English word progress. And here's what it means. To go beyond established bounds of teaching or instruction with the implication of failure to obey properly. So the English word that fits with that Greek word and in this translation, it says goes on ahead. But I could translate it like this. Everyone who progresses. Now listen, what I'm about to say next isn't political. It's theological. But obviously has political ramifications. Because this verse could also say, everyone who is progressive who is progressive and does not abide, doesn't have God. Now, let me nuance this phrase a little. Not all progress is bad. In fact, the Bible, many other places, talks about how we are to grow in our faith. Because the word progress just simply means take a step forward, right? To progress, to move forward. So let me give you some specific examples that relate to our culture and our country. The Bible clearly says that all men and women are created in the image of God. All of us have what, what we would call the imago Dei, the image of God in every single one of us, every tribe, every tongue, every culture. There is no privileged group of people. And even when we created this culture, this country in America, our founders, who although all of them may not have been Christians, all of them were deeply informed by the truth of the Bible. And when they put together our constitution, 
It started very similarly in certain ways that we talk in the Bible when it said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that every man is created, right? Given certain rights by their creator. All men are created equal. Well, that comes out of the Bible. Now, when we created this country and we wrote that down, were we living up to that ideal? No. I mean, you'd have to be crazy to say we were. Because there were groups of people in this country that were not treated as equals, that were not treated as fully human, immerse bearers of God. And so I am so grateful that there were Christians, although there were Christians on the wrong side of this, but there were Christians who stood up and said, no, the Bible says William Wilberforce was one of the great movements of abolitionism that said, no, the Bible says that we're created. All of us have the Imago Day." And so they, watch this, they applied the truth that was written down. It was written down in our Bible and it was written down in our constitution. Thank God. So not all progress is bad. But here's what they didn't do. They didn't progress beyond truth. They progressed in applying the truth and saying slavery is a sin. But they didn't progress beyond the truth. Are you with me when I say this? They didn't progress beyond it but they progressed in how we applied it. So I'm giving you an example. The reason why I'm giving you an example is because I want you to understand something. There are moments in time in human history when cultures, when churches, when governments don't apply the truth of what the Bible says. And we should call that out rightfully. Having said that, we now live in a culture though that is progressing beyond truth, that is doing what John is warning us about here and says who is going on ahead and not abiding in truth. And by truth, he defines that as the teaching of Christ. So what is truth? Biblically speaking, it's the teaching of Christ. And by teaching of Christ, I just don't mean the red letters, by the way. Because that's one argument from people like, well, Jesus never said it. This whole book is by Jesus. And he is behind the authorship of all of it. So the teaching of Christ is what is in this book. And we live in a culture that says, well, we need to progress beyond this. And here's what I want you to hear me say. I'm not surprised that our culture says that. We shouldn't be surprised that we live in a culture that says that. That is not what's surprising to me. What becomes surprising to me is when the church goes on ahead, not the culture. When the church goes on ahead, and doesn't abide in 
the teaching. Let me give you another verse, Jude chapter three. It's another one chapter book in the Bible. So if you want to feel super good, read Jude. Jude chapter three says this. Beloved, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was, now listen to this phrase, once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all. The book of Hebrews in chapter one and two, if you were here at Christmas, I read it, talks about how in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So we need to understand something. Historically speaking, there is an orthodox teaching that the Bible has, and anything that has come after that is extra. And I'm not being mean, but let's just talk historically. Muslims came after that, 600 years to be in fact. Mormons came after that, almost 1,800 years to be a fact. And there's been teaching that has been added to this teaching that was once for all delivered. That's how the Bible speaks of itself. And my concern, again, is not, Christ, is not the culture is progressing on. My concern is the church is adopting a lot of what would be considered today, and again, I don't mean this politically, but I mean this theologically, progressive. And by that, what I mean is we adopt new definitions of terms. We have gone on ahead and we haven't abided in teaching. Let's get back into John just to show you how serious this is. Second John chapter, not, there's no chapter. Verse 10 and 11, listen to this. Well, let me, before I do this, I gotta make this point and then let me do it because that's the way our order of our slides, all right? The strength of our, sorry guys, the strength of our lives will be determined by how long we remain in truth. That's the point I'm trying to make. The strength of our lives will be determined by how long we remain or abide in truth. So the reason why I'm harping on truth, the reason why I'm harping on abiding in truth is because the strength or health of our lives, and here, let me say it to you like this corporately, the strength of our church is determined by how long we remain in truth. Now, let me get back to 2 John, verse 10 and 11. John says this to this family. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, let me explain what I think John is saying and not saying. John is not saying we shouldn't let people who hold different viewpoints into our house. I don't think that's what he's saying. Because obviously you see how Jesus interacted with sinners, what we would call sinners and tax collectors. He was a friend of sinners. In fact, it was the Pharisees who would knock Jesus often. Why are you hanging out with those people? Because they thought if they were just with them, they would be unclean. And then Jesus, after he rose again, told us, go into all the world and make disciples. So I don't think that John is saying that we shouldn't be neighborly and we shouldn't invite friends over to our houses, watch this, that vote differently than us. I don't, I don't think that's what he's getting at. You gotta understand contextually what's going on. 
In the first century, they didn't have the internet because Al Gore hadn't been invented, right? So therefore, he wasn't around to invent it. That joke never gets old. They didn't have media. They didn't even have books. They had scribes with scrolls, and then those stayed in the temple and into you know, the holy places. So the average person didn't have access to that information. And so what would happen culturally in their day and age, day and age is it was an oral tradition, which means people would go around and they would speak things. So here's John, and you, this is why Paul would go to the city center and Peter and Jerusalem and the council, all these things. They would go into places and have conversations with people and, and talk about teaching. And so what John is getting at here is less about you shouldn't have people in your home that disagree with you, but what he's getting at here is this. Back in that day, this is how these teachers made their living. This is how they survived. And so we might think of them as like itinerant preachers, people that like preachers that went around evangelizing, that kind of thing. And, and when you let them into your house, when you were, it's like you were supporting them and you would give them. So back then you'd, you'd give them somewhere to sleep. You give them somewhere to eat. Like you're in on what they're teaching. And so what was going on at this deeper level, what John is saying is, listen, if someone comes around to your house and asks you to support them in what they're teaching, don't support them because then you are taking part in their wicked works. Now let's apply this in 21st century because we do have the internet and we don't operate quite like this anymore. We're far more written culture now than we are orally, although that still happens. But, but let me make an example without it trying to feel like I'm trying to be like, again, super um, pharisaical or judgmental here. But those of us who've been on the planet for a few decades, we remember TVs without remotes. Anybody remember those? Yeah, you remember the knob that you had to go turn? And your dad was like, flip it over to NBC. I don't want ABC. There was only three channels. And you had the rabbit ears, and if like you got close to that, I got fuzzy. Or you had to be the designated, which was me a lot of time, I was the youngest, go hold the antenna. Those of you that don't nothing what I'm talking about, you can go to the Wayback Machine and Google these things, all right? I remember that. I remember our first computer and DOS prompt, which was the little green line blinking at you. I remember when I got my first pager. When I got a cell phone and it was a brick that was wired into my Ford Bronco. I remember that. I remember beep, 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 called dial-up, internet. I remember that. AOL, the little yellow guy running. I remember all that. CDs. It was way better than tapes, which were way better than A-Tracks. And here's where I'm going with this, this little trip down memory lane that we've taken. I also remember there were things that were playing on those contraptions, TV shows, that were far different in value than they are today. And what I mean by that is this, there are things that happen on TV today that we would call PG that back then was R. 
And which just kind of makes me laugh. You understand how those rating systems work, don't you? There is literally a group of parents that rate that. G, PG, PG-13, R, NC-17, TVMA, whatever. And there are things that happen on TVs today that is like TV-14, and I'm mortified. I'm like, that ain't 14. That's 44. <laughs> and isn't it interesting to me? We have an entire industry called adult. And by adult, we mean, we even say mature. And it's the most immature crap that exists. When did we think mature was I'm able to handle that stuff? Here's where I'm going. Listen to me. There are things as Christians, let me say it like this. There is teaching as Christians that we let into our homes. That has gone on ahead of the teaching of Christ. Now, I'm not saying a Christian shouldn't watch rated R. Again, that's where I'm saying I'm not trying to be. The, the goal of the sermon today is not for you to leave with that. The goal of the sermon today is for you to leave wiser and recognize what's happening. You are being taught, you are being conditioned. And we talked about leading a legacy back at the end of last year. And my job more than anything else is to make sure I leave a legacy of faith in my kids. So it is my job when that teaching comes in to tell my kids, you know that teaching is not of Christ. And here's, I'm just trying to point out to you, again, as a pastor, how many people who have progressed on past the teaching of Christ. And hear me, this is not me saying this. This is John saying this. When he says, whoever goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching does not have God. My friends, there is a limit past which we go that we no longer have God. Now, in a sermon like this, in a forum like this, obviously, I don't have the time nor the relational capacity to sit down and talk about every situation about whether or not someone has God. But all I'm saying is this. Look at what direction you're headed. Are you progressing on or are you remaining in? There is a direction. Verse 12. And here's how the direction is largely determined. Verse 12, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. We would say, I'd rather not use text and DM. It's fine. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you that are over. Notice that he's writing these things to her. But then he ends it with this. But I want to come see you face to face and tell you the rest. He found it necessary to write that so that she got that. He said, I've got more, but I want to do it face to face. Why? Because there's something that happens 
when we get face-to-face with other people that are also abiding in the same teaching. There's a joy that is had when we are abiding with others who are abiding in the same teaching. Why? Because when I'm face-to-face with, face, face-to-face, when I'm face-to-face with somebody who's committed to remaining in the same teaching as me, they can call me out when I'm not abiding in it, can't they? Because they know me. They can say, Jason, what are you doing, man? That's ridiculous. That's not of God. But see, we live in a culture now, watch this, where we can be connected to more people than ever and all those relationships be very shallow where no one's calling us out. And I understand, we've just lived through a pandemic, an endemic, a never-endic, I don't know. And the devil is smart and he is crafty and he put us all in our homes and made drama happen on TV that wasn't just TV, I get it, it was real life that then divided everybody. And the solution, watch this, is not just that we remain, but we get back face to face. Now, praise God in our church, specifically Revolution Church, we are progressing back percentage-wise to where we were BC, which is what I call before COVID. Right? That's good. That's good. People are coming back together in person. That's fantastic. And I'm not saying online is not valuable. Oh, it is. Technology is great. We want to use it. And there's still obviously health reasons and, and specific reasons for that. If you're tra- Whatever. I get it. But even before COVID, the average person was attending, was gathering less and less. The average family was gathering 1.7 times a month. And all I'm trying to show you is this. If abiding in truth is what brings grace, mercy, and peace, and I need others to help me abide in truth, then if I'm not abiding with others, then I'm lacking grace, mercy, and peace, and it affects me. Interestingly enough, and I have this here on the screen, Gallup did a study, and I've referenced this before, checking mental health from 2019 to 2020, and I'm going to show it to you. And what they wanted to know is what group of people were doing better from a mental health perspective in 2020 than they were in 2019. Let's just break it down. Gender, male and female, both negative. Party identification, Republican, independent, Democrat, all negative, although one party was doing worse than the other. Let's move down below religious attendance. I'm gonna come back to that. Race, white versus non-white, all negative. Marital status, married versus not married, all negative. Actually, those who weren't married were doing worse, which don't let the devil lie to you that maybe being single again is the answer. Age group, doesn't matter the age group, all negative. Household income, doesn't matter the money. In fact, more money you had, the worse mental health you had. Isn't that interesting? There was only one group that was doing better. Let's go back up. You've probably already read it. Weekly service attendance. Those who were attending... Nearly weekly, negative 12. Those who were attending seldom or never, 
Christmas and Easter, negative 13. I'm not, I'm not being mean. I'm, I'm trying to make an argument here. The only group that was doing positive, plus four, were those who were attending gatherings weekly. Isn't that interesting? Now, again, there were reasons back in 2020 that we didn't gather in person, and we don't have to rehash that. And you can think that we went too long without gathering. That's fine. We made leadership decisions based upon the information we had at the time. But I'm making this point. Our joy is at stake. Because you and I need to, let me give you this last point, abide with those who help you abide in truth. We need to abide with those who help us abide in truth. And I've seen this time and time again, sadly. I can't tell you how many people have walked away from truth and before that, they walked away from church because they didn't want to relationally be around people that was going to tell them the truth, love them in truth. And so they walked away from the people and then they walked away from the truth. And so if you and I want to be a people that abide, that remain in truth, because the strength of our life is determined upon our ability to remain in truth. Well, here's the key. I can't remain in truth by myself. Back in verse eight, he says, watch yourself. Literally, that word means see yourself. Here's the problem. I can't see myself correctly. Have you ever seen yourself in your mirror and then later on someone took a picture of you and you were mortified by what you saw, but you liked what you saw in your own mirror? By the laughs, I would imagine that happened. Yeah, because your mirror was subjective at home because you wanted to believe that you fit in that. Right? You talked yourself into it that that was good. And then out in public, you let your guard down. And by that, I mean, you let your stomach down. You're like, oh, that don't look good, bro. Yeah, because you can't see yourself correctly. Neither can I. I knew it address one last elephant in the room. I know this has been a heavy message. Or should I say I need to address the mustache in the room? <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed. But your boy is, uh, is channeling a certain TV actor from the way back named Tom Selleck. <laughs> if you don't know him, again, you can go search it later too. I am fully well aware, I want you to know, that this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I get it. But here's what's funny. There have been people in my life that love me, my son. People have been texting me all morning, bro, it looks good. Don't lose it. It's very Texas. It's very you. And I respect those opinions. No, they don't love me. You're right. Because those that love me, watch this, are going to love me in truth. 
who my wife does. <laughs> and she's all fine. I mean, she just loves that she married a man who's willing to get up here and be ridiculous. But she doesn't love the stash. <laughs> Truly, that's what it means. And I'm making this point because you'll never forget it, I hope. The title of this message is Do Not or Don't Go On Ahead. But I could have titled it, and I might title it, The Mustache Message. Because if you ever walked around in public and see somebody and you thought this, that person has no friends. Because <laughs> if they had friends... They would have never come out like that. And here's all I'm saying to you. It takes a church to raise a Christian. That's why gathering together is important. If you're not serving on a team or in a group, we want you to go through our welcome track process so that you can get in relationship with us. And this is the kind of church where we do want to abide in truth. We do want to remain in truth because the strength of our lives, the strength of our church is determined by our ability to remain in truth. But here's the problem. We can't remain in it alone. We need others, which is why God created marriage, which is why God created the church. And that's the primary metaphor that the Bible uses for the church. Jesus is the bride. The church is the bridegroom. It's a marriage where we remain together in truth. And then our joy will be complete. Grace, mercy, and peace will be ours because we remain in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us in truth. That you came and told us the truth. That we are all sinners. And we live in a culture now, God, that wants to redefine sin and what is and what isn't, but you define that. And so God, thank you that you didn't come and tell us to continue as we were. You came and told us to repent. But you didn't just tell us. You empowered us to do it. And you did that by sending Jesus to the cross, by putting justice on Jesus and giving us mercy and grace and peace. Although Jesus had never sinned, he died as though he was a sinner. He died in our place, in truth, because he loved us. And God, we want to abide in that truth. But God, I know there are some people here today who, who have never come to the conclusion that they need to repent. They need to confess that they have sinned because they are a sinner. And come to the fact of the, the truth that they need you. And so God, I pray right now you'd open their eyes to see that and they would confess no one looking around or talking here as we close, if you've never trusted in the truth, you've never trusted in Jesus, 
then today you can. And you don't have to pray out loud, but you can pray with me. And it goes like this, say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for my sins. The truth is I'm a sinner and I need a savior. So would you save me? Forgive me. Thank you for loving me in truth. You know me truly, but you love me completely. No one looking around or talking in as we close. If you just prayed to trust Christ and you don't mind doing one thing for us, we would love to know. If you're in one of our locations, we'd just simply lift up your hand so we could see you. Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. And then those of us who have trusted in Jesus, I want you to understand the call of this message is to remain in that trust and therefore remain in that truth. It is hard because as culture changes, truth becomes less accepted and, and our cultures become recreated and it is hard to remain in the truth. But if we will abide with those who are abiding in the truth, then we have a shot. If we can see each other face to face, our joy could be complete in a way that couldn't be without it. And so if there's some areas in your life where you have progressed beyond truth, I'm not saying you need to get saved again, but you do need to confess, God, yeah, I've progressed too far in this area. I need to come back. And then get in relationships that help you stay grounded in the truth. Father, would you accomplish this in our lives and in our church? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.